Joshua chapter 23, talking about enjoying the journey as a committed family. Joshua was 110 years old. He had been the first 40 years of his life a slave in Egypt. He went through the rough parts when they were beating them and making them make bricks without uh, straw. And he had, the, uh, he had the, uh, the difficult time. But he also saw what God did with Moses and Aaron. And he saw the, the miracles and experienced the ten plagues. And then went out and followed God's man and helped God's man Moses for 40 years while he was leading God's people in the, in the wilderness. Of course, the leader, Moses, did not get to go in. Joshua was going to be a, going to be a handoff there. It was going to be a handoff from Moses to, uh, to Joshua. He was a man who had been faithful minister, and now he was going to lead. The Lord let him take the children of Israel in there and conquer ten cities. It would take five years to do it. But uh, ten year, five years, they went out and one by one conquered the cities. And now Joshua, he gave them, each of them, uh, locations and geography and fields. And they walked into homes and they walked into cities they didn't, they didn't erect. They walked into, and they drank water out of wells they didn't dig. They, they ate grapes and vegetables and fruit out of trees and vineyards they didn't plant. And they were experiencing the blessings of God in a land that would flow with milk and honey as predicted by Moses before. And uh, now he's done that. He's done that now for 25 years. Five years of fighting, 25 years of, of enjoying the blessings of God. He's an old man, 110 years old, and yet he's getting ready to die. He calls the leadership together and he stands up and he tells them, here's how we had a committed family. At the end, he said, you have to make a choice for your family. I'll make a choice for my family. If you want to serve the gods that we serve on the other side of the flood, knock yourself out. If you want to serve the gods of the Amorites and the Canaanites and all the Ite brothers here in the Canaan land, that's your decision. But as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. He made a strong decision, and no doubt Mrs. Joshua followed along with that decision. The kids said, Dad, if that's what you do, then that's what we're going to do. And together they did that, but he gave them admonitions in 23, chapter 23 that is, that I think are very applicable to us. If you want a family that's going to be committed to the Lord, and you want a family that will outlast you, they, they have estimated there was a family in the upstate New York, Jonathan Edwards and, and his family, and from his tree, uh, all these judges and college presidents and pastors and, and engineers, all these things that came from that. They have another family that was a guy named Mr. Mr. Jukes, and he was a drunk, and uh, he was a gambler and a womanizer, and yet from his family, they, they all over New York, they were prisoners prostitutes, drunkards, bar owners, all the things that you wouldn't want in your lineage. And those uh, Mr. Edwards group, they, they gave great contribution to society, and many souls will be in heaven because of a godly mom and dad. Mr. Jukes on their side, he cost the state of New York, they estimate, several million dollars just in taking care of his offsprings in prison, in jail. One thing about a family, and you say, Pastor, I don't even have a family yet. You need to listen to this message. 
In a few days, a few months, a few years, you're going to be a, a, a dad. You're going to be a mom. You're going, to have, you're going to, everyone's, all of us came from a family, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your aunt and uncle, a cousin. We all have family relations in some way, but a, a family that's committed to the Lord can enjoy the journey. Several ways, number one, in chapter 23, and just by way of review, we reflect back and remember God's goodness. You know, when you live right, you can die right. How can a lady get on a FaceTime and say, Pastor, I can't take the pain. Then you're going to give me more medicine. I don't think I'll get to talk to you again. I won't even know you're there probably. Next time I see you, I'll see you in heaven. And it's okay. Heaven's not a bad option. How can someone do that? Tell you why? Because week after week, they sit right over here in this auditorium right here. They served. They worked hard, put their kids in, in school. They, they made meals for people that were sick. They went across the street, Brother Froakie's class, and made meals for, for people in a Sunday school class. They served faithfully. They're all aboard and all in. You live right, you can die right. But you can reflect back on the goodness of God. Reflect back on how he protected us. Reflect back on how he gave us victories, how he provided for us step by step. I'm not just talking about finances. Do you remember when you're hurting so bad you thought you're, gonna, you're not going to take it? I would never forget the morning of August the 16th, 2008, when I found out with Linda from the San Jose coroner's office that Tyler was with the Lord. I know I should have been a better Christian, but I thought I was going to die. I was trying to think in my mind, how do I tell Derek? How am I going to tell Preston? How am I going to tell Lydia? Do I get everybody together and just tell them, or do we do one at a time? It's the middle of the night. How am I going to tell my mom? How do I tell their uncles and aunts? How am I going to tell Linda's parents? Well, I just thought, this is awful. Remember, remember feeling the, the pain. I would just be driving on the road and just start crying. And <laughs> I have to pull over. I'd be sitting in my office and just look at a picture of him, and boy, I just, just fall apart right there in the office and just think, man, I, can, I don't know how I can take this. But aren't you glad you got a God, and I have a God that knows how to comfort us if we need comfort? Help us and strengthen us when we need strength? Knows how to help you when you're lonely, when you're frustrated, when you're incapacitated, you're not sure what you're supposed to do when, you, when the funds are low and your bills are high? God took you through that, didn't he? He's so faithful, he's so good to us. If I'm going to have a strong family, if I'm going to have a steady family in a crazy world, i got to remember what kind of God I have. He's a God who protects me, he provides for me, and he gives me victory in the face of, of defeat. Secondly, I've got to decide I want to, I want to remain clean. You get clean when you're saved. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We get clean when we are sanctified. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 3, the Bible says, This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. Every man ought to know how to, how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. By the way, if you're going to be clean, it's because you want to be clean. You're not going to be able to blame anybody else. You want to live like an idiot? You want to get your head in the smut? You want to be, you want to be texting people you shouldn't text and showing pictures of people you shouldn't share pictures with and get involved with all that foolishness? You go ahead, but that, there's only one person that can be pure for you, and that's you. 
Only one person be pure for me. And the Bible says, keep thyself pure. Purify yourself even as he is pure. Uh, be clean. Be separated from God, uh, from, to the Lord, from the world. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verse 27, See, if a man seemed to be religious among you, but he doesn't know how to bridle his tongue, he doesn't know how to give to those that are hurting, learn to be generous, he doesn't keep himself unspotted from the world, that guy, is, he's lying. He's not a religious. Religion and a person who's devoted to the word of God and the things of God, you can tell about yourself. You can ask yourself, Do I, does my mouth under control? Is my speech bridled? Is my spirit benevolent? Am I a giving person? Am I a taker or a giver? Then lastly, am I blameless in my separation? Am I separated into God? Everything about you, everybody ought to know all around you. I think D.L. Moody said this. Every Christian should live in such a way that everyone knows they're a Christian. Especially those in their own house. If your phone were to be left unlocked, everybody would be looking at it and say, this belongs to a Christian. If your computer was found, they ought to be able to say, you know what, this is a godly person right here. They should not find filth in there. They should not find communications that are, un you know, the Bible says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You start hanging with the wrong kind of people and, and talking with the wrong kind of people, it will, it will corrupt the way you behave yourself. It'll, it'll hurt your manners. We open your locker at work, sir. We ought to know. The most casual observer, I say, this is a Christian. We walk in your office. You ought to be able to know right now. Whoever, whoever works in this office, they're a believer. We walk in your home. We ought to know this is a Christian home. Doesn't have a lot of filth all over every place. Doesn't have a whole bunch of wrong kind of movies or wrong kind of CDs. Or it ought to be obvious in that first first step inside your house. This is a Christian home. It ought to be a pure place. We're talking about having a committed home, enjoying the journey together. Sin complicates life. You go to your dorm room. It ought to be obvious, man. This this person loves the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to be neat. The Bible says, let all things be done decently and in order. I do not know what Jesus' room looked like, but I'm sure it was neat. Because he's an orderly, God's an orderly God. But to be careful about how we, how we conduct ourselves and how we take care of things. Our, our, our spending should show us. If someone found our checkbook ledger or found, got onto our thing, now to say, you know what, this person loves God. What's this, First Baptist Church, missions? Good night. They must really love the Lord. You'll be able to see in our spending, you'll be able to see in our schedule. They're looking at our little, remember those day timers? I don't know why that came to my mind, but that's an old thing. They looked on our, on our, uh, our phones and see our schedule. They'll say, you know, this, this person, it's obvious what they do on Sunday. It's obvious what they do during the week. They have time for going soul winning. What is this? Soul winning. What is that? Everything about us ought to say, this person is a child of God. He tells them, listen, remember the goodness of God. Remain clean for God. Then he said, I want you to run to God. Look at verse number eight. Would you just read it with me? We read it this morning. But let's read it again real quickly, everyone. But cleave unto the Lord your God. Run to God. 
Run to him and be close to him, but grow in grace and in the? Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Run to him. Uh, we read this morning, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. If you weren't here, make a note of that verse. Find it in your Bible, circle it, underline it. Put an asterisk beside it, 23 and 24. Great verses. If anyone's going to glory about anything, don't let the strong man glory that he's strong or the rich man glory that he's got a pile of cash. Don't let the intellectual man think that he's got it all together and that's what he's glory. But if you're going to glory, glory that you understand God. You, you're with him. And of course... In uh, Matthew chapter 11, the Bible says, Come unto me, all of your labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Know about him. When you learn about him, you'll find out to, to know him is to love him. Then we find here the next thing tonight. I want you, if you would please look at verse number 10. Read it with me out loud. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you. I want to encourage you as a family and enjoying the journey as a committed family, you need to rely upon the Lord. He said, one of you will chase a thousand. He said, your God will fight for you. He's trying to tell them, listen, Joshua, an old man, having looked back over 110 years, saw the faithful hand of God, said, listen, you can trust him. Rely upon the Lord. Your family, like my family, is going to go through some difficult times. And it's really important, mom and dad, that you learn to trust God in difficult times. When you don't know what to do, join the club. A lot of us have been there. You need to learn to trust the Lord. And then you say, Pastor, that's just so, that's just easy gobbledygook. That's just a bunch of talk. I'm just telling you, that's where you need to be. When you look and you don't know what's going on, and you think about 2020, and you're all tore up, and and you're, 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 you've got this thing and this fear and all this 2021, what's going to happen here? Listen, don't spend a second there. I don't think it's wrong to be discouraged. I think it's wrong to stay that way. And faith and fear are polar opposites. Someone said the other day, and I remember hearing this, anybody who has anxiety is lacking in their prayer life. That was what was told me. Because the Bible says, be careful for nothing, but everything by prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is the ultimate act of faith, in my opinion. How do you get saved? You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. And whosoever shall call, name the Lord. We got saved by faith. We're supposed to live, but the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Some of you got some problems right now. You know what you need to do? You need to say, God, I trust you. The Bible tells us that we ought to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not to our own. Let me tell you, everybody's got opinions. Opinions are like armpits. We all got them. Some stink. But everybody's opinion and your opinion doesn't really matter. What would be a good day when we said, you know, what does God want me to do? And if you don't know, stay upon the Lord until he tells you. Don't do what you think is right. Many of us were, were overcome by fear and we're overcome by past and failures and we, we're, making, we're, 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 we're trying to steer straight, look in the rearview mirror. We need to really trust the Lord. Something I, I oftentimes do, and I want to encourage you to consider this. When you get overwhelmed, you don't know what to do, I just say to the Lord, I look to the heavens, say, Lord, I trust you. Or I fall on my face in my office, both here across the way and 
across the street and at the college many times. Just fall out of my chair, I get on my knees and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm trusting you. Times I've had problems with our kids. And they're struggling or having a, a, a problem in their season of life. or I'm not sure what's wrong with them. I, I know they're not really open with mom and me or they're, they're having some, there's some struggle. I don't know what to do. I can't, can't take them and just jerk them and make them do what I want them to do. I say, God, please help them. Break their heart. Bring them to a place of submission. Let them love you. Let them help protect them from sin. Lord, I trust you. I think our, our oftentimes anger is birthed out of a failure to trust God. We got husbands that are jealous over their, their wife, and their wives jealous of their husband, and everybody's, everybody's getting fired up. They get angry so fast. And a lot of times it's this way, because they did this, and they did this. You know, it's because we don't trust God. Where were you at? Why didn't you come? Boy, everybody wants to know everything. There's only one person who really knows all that, and that's God. <laughs> You can spend your existence trying to figure out all the, connect all the dots of humanity. And what we need to do is trust the Lord. And Joshua, when he says, he says, listen, the way I can say, choose you this day who you will serve. The reason I've served the Lord is because I looked back and saw his blessings. I looked inside and said, you know what, I'm going to keep my heart clean. I, wanna, I want to run to God, cleave to him, get close to him, and then I want to rely upon him. He said, a, a one will chase a thousand. He said, look, he will fight for you. You can trust him. And then I want you to notice the next thing he says. And if you would, please take your look down to verse number, verse number, six, uh, verse number 11 and 12. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves. You see, he's, the old man's still talking. The way we, way, we try, way we serve the Lord, he said, take heed to yourselves. That ye love the Lord your God. That you love him. I want to encourage you to reevaluate your love for the Lord. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Can you turn there? I think it would be good for you to underline this. I know it by heart, but I think it's good for us to occasionally to just take, it, take a moment, look at something, and let God speak to you. Let it saturate into your heart. Think about this verse. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Thank you for turning your Bibles there. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 5. Are you there? We have all the men read it together. You ready, men? Chapter 1, verse 5. Now, the end of the commandment is a good conscience and a faith. Ladies, can you read it with me, please? Now, the end of the commandment is charity. Let's all read it together, everybody. Now, the end of the commandment is charity. This is something everybody ought to, you ought to circle this first. Put an asterisk beside the number. That's a good verse. There are several verses in the Bible that are just all compassing. Com they compass with like, like uh, Micah 6, 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, what the Lord has required of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. I mean, you, if you could live one verse of the Bible, that would be a good verse to live. Some of you, your favorite verse is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. These, that's another one. Trust in the Lord with all thine, and lean not to thine own. In all thy ways, and he shall, I like the one in Ecclesiastes where he said, let's consider the conclusion. The conclusion of the whole matter is what? Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. If you can just recognize God and do what he asks you to do, 
you'll be good. This is a, also a New Testament equivalent to that. He said, now the end of the commandment, the reason God gave us the Bible and where the rubber meets the road when it's all said and done is charity out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and a faith that is unfeigned without hypocrisy, sincere. If I can only have one verse to read and to live, that'd be a good one. Keep love out of a pure heart. Keep a conscience that's good. Void of offense with God, void of offense with others. And then have a faith that is real, that is sincere, genuine. Joshua is telling him, listen, take heed to yourself. And be sure that you love the Lord your God. That is where it is. You know, that's the, that's, you won't have to worry about dress standards if you love the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't be arguing about music if you really love the Lord Jesus Christ. There's just two choices on the shelf. You live for God or you live for self. You love God or you love yourself. You got your own desires, you got his desires. That's why the Bible says, delight thyself also in the Lord. We oftentimes get into these arguments. When when you say this, and this is what you feel, Dad, or this is what you feel, Pastor, this is what you feel, Brother So-and-so, but you know, I feel a little different about that. What we really need to do is land where God lands. And when you love somebody... The deeper you go in your love for the Lord, the higher your ceiling of commitment would be. I don't love Linda the way I should love her, but the more I love her, the more I'm willing to. In my younger years, I wouldn't think about carrying her purse. But I'm getting like a big sissy now. If she, if her purse is heavy, I'd probably carry it. We'd probably find a little sneaky way to do it, you know, where it'd be under my arm and her under my arm or something like that. I'm, I'm serious. If, it was, if, if and I was 25 years old, if, it, if she left her purse in the auditorium, I'd make her go out and get it. I'm not going to go get it. I am not going to be caught dead carrying your purse, Linda. I love you, but I don't love you that much. But I now love her that much. Please keep your purse with you, Linda, okay? Because I don't want any, we don't need any illustrations here tonight. But you know, the more that I love her, the more I care for her, the more I'm willing to do for her. And if something hurts her, I don't want to do it. If she just doesn't like it, why am I going to put that in her face? And the more I love God, the less I want to offend him. One of the beautiful things in the Reformers Unanimous that Brother Steve currently came up, if God's against it, help me out with the rest of that, guys. If God's against it, if God's against it, so am I. If it, he didn't like it, well, I don't want to like it. If it offends him, then why do I, I want to, I'm not going to do that. Well, yeah, but I, but that's it. It's I, it's me, it's my. Well, I deserve to be happy. Find that Bible verse for me. No, you got to find out what God wants to do. He said, listen, take heed to yourselves and see that you love God. Now, I can't love God for you. You can't love God for me. We all got our problems up here. On the, on the platform, we got problems with that. I prayed with Brother Keith tonight, and he said, Lord, I know there's things in my life I need to work on. Show them and help me to keep working on them. You know what he's saying in that prayer? Lord, I love you enough. I want to work through it. I want to do what you most please you. And the old man said, you want to have a, enjoy the journey with a committed family? He said, remember the goodness of God. His victories, his provision, his protection. 
So I want you to remain clean because sin complicates life. Be clean in salvation. Be clean in sanctification. Be clean, separated from the world and to the Lord. So I want you to run to God, cleave to him, rely upon the Lord, and then reevaluate continually your love for God. Do I love him? You know, God has a thermometer. And the thermometer that he tests the temperature of your love is your obedience. He looks on the thermometer of obedience and says, okay. Because he says, if you love me, you will. If I say I love the Lord and I don't obey him, then I don't. Kids, you say you love your parents, you disobey them, you hurt them, you get bad grades, and you're, not, you're goofing off on your school, and you're making them pay for this, and then have to do summer school again because you're, you're irresponsible, causing problems in school. You, you don't love your parents. Well, yes, I do, Pastor. You'll show your love by your obedience. And we show our love to God by our obedience to the Lord. The last thing I want to give to you real quickly this evening and that is, if you'll look at verse number 12. Else, if you do any wise, go back and cleave into the remnant of these nations. He said, if you decide to go back the other way, boy, Christian, with all that God's given us, don't go back. There's a song, shall I go back into the world? No, no, not I, not I. Shall I go back into the world? No, no, not I. Well, I don't want to go back. What's the other verse, the other song? I've decided to follow Jesus. No. The cross before me, the world. He said, but if you guys, you, you've evaluated, and Joshua understands humanity. He understands the people he's looking at. He's been around them now for many years. He knows their tendencies. So you're going to have to make a choice for you, and you'll live with the blessings or consequences of your choice. And I'll make a choice for me, as for me and my house are serving the Lord. He said, if you decide to go back and just meander with the other nations of the world and just live like an unsaved person, do what they do, go where they go, have the same attitudes, the same actions, the same thinking, the same philosophies, go ahead. You go back and do it. And by the way, you can start looking. One of the things here is you'll put thorns in your eyes. How would you like that? That sounds terrible. You'll lose your vision. You'll, you'll corrupt yourself, you'll complicate and, and, uh, and sabotage your future. All kinds of things come. He says, he does reference marriages here. He said, you decide to get married uh, and not give attention to the right kind of marriage. He said, it's going to get complicated real quick. I want to take a few moments tonight, just about, about six minutes, I want to talk to you about marriage. I don't have all the clues about marriage. I knew when I got married... I had a wonderful dad and a wonderful mom, but they were in their first rodeo together, and I knew that I should have a better marriage than my parents. But I knew that wasn't going to happen until I learned a few things. Because if I just did what I saw, I'd probably end up in some of the same discussions and problems. And marriage is a beautiful thing, and Joshua approaches marriages here. He says, look, I want to talk to you about your marriages. Don't marry the wrong person. It's better not to be married than marry someone you shouldn't be with. But if you do get married, the Bible's going to give some, he gives us some overall opinions about marriage. And I think I want to give you this last point. Renew your marital love with the Lord's help. You'll never be the husband or wife you need to be unless you have the help of God. What does the Bible say? Husbands, love your wife 
How in the world do you know? It's impossible to love a wife the way God wants you to love them unless you're spirit-filled. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Girls, your job is to reverence, to offer respectful response to your husband, to your own husband. Some of you, you're far more respectful to your boss at work than you are to your own husband at home. So, you know, he doesn't deserve it. That's not your job to decide. You're far nicer to so many people, your Sunday school teacher, than you are to your husband. You're far more responsive. If they want you something, you'll do it. If he wants you something, you don't do it. Fellas, oftentimes, we're far more uh, thoughtful and caring to, to a perfect stranger, to the girl that runs the counter over at the mobile station, than we are to our own wife. There are certain things you need, you need to reevaluate and renew your marital love for your spouse. So a couple thoughts real quickly. Number one, First of all, in your marriage, trust God and determine to stay. Trust God. Not asking, you know, not one time in the Bible say, husbands, trust your wives. I can't find it. If you find it, let me know. Not one time to say, wives, trust your husbands. God gave us examples of husbands and wives who couldn't trust each other. Sarah couldn't trust Abraham as far as she could throw him. But the Bible says holy women who, who trusted the Lord, they reverenced their own husband. Men, years ago, I've heard the story of John R. Rice and his wife, who's with the Lord, both and with Christ now. And she said, John, why do you love me so much? He looked down over his glasses, because the Lord told me to. He said, John, that doesn't make me feel very good. He said, it'll work, though. Even when you're not very lovable, he said, I'm still supposed to love you. You need a supernatural help. Trust the Lord and determine to continue to work through. You know, that God can take some craziness and change it. Now, I know that not every marriage is not going to, we've got a sinful will. We have a sinful world. We have a real devil. But boy, I tell you what, in my encouragement to you, as I watch humanity and I watch marriages, I've seen people that... Um, I would have wanted to help support the divorce if we could. Just out of the meanness of the man or meanness of the woman. I remember one time, boy, it was a rough one. She would, this particular girl was, was, was bad news. First time I met her, she was smoking a cigarette under a tree out beside a grave, grave uh, side service. And I went over and tried to talk. It was terrible. She was rude and unkind, and as I learned more about it, she had really talked down her husband to the kids and turned, just, the kids as they got older, they kind of saw through it, but in those early years, it was awful, and she was very critical of his mom and dad, and, and everybody who knew him thought, man, this is the nicest guy in the world, why would you be so unkind to him? Never forget, whenever I, I saw that, I went over and saw them at their home, and she warmed up a little bit, but never would come to church, he would come and sit by himself. As time went on, the kids got bitter against the Lord, and just one daughter would sit with him. Never forget getting a call from Kaiser Hospital in Bellflower, California. It's a pastor, and she said, this is my name. I said, can you come see me? I said, I went to go see her. I said, you're probably looking at the most bitter person you've ever seen in your life. I've got cancer. 
because it's because of my bitterness. I've hurt Gary so bad. I've turned the kids to one and I hated his mom and dad. I hurt them. Any way I could find a way to hurt them, I tried to hurt them. Couldn't go to Christmas, couldn't go to Thanksgiving. Would speak ugly, would curse. Just awful. The pastor in his hospital bed, God showed me, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved. And I hope when I get out of church, you'll go baptize me and I'll get back in church and I'll do what I'm supposed to do. And... Uh, Boy, she turned into a sweet little girl. She never got out of that uh, sickness. God took her to heaven with cancer. But I remember at the graveside and finishing up the funeral for her and being able to tell a good story out of a bad situation. And a few years went by, and the Lord put together a precious girl with Gary. And my goodness, they had such a sweet relationship. And God just took two broken people, put them together, and, and it was just a, they're, they're so sweet. To this day, they're precious. I remember getting Gary by himself one time. I said, Gary, how in the world did you stay with that girl? He said, boy, it ended good, didn't it, Pastor? I said, oh, yeah, it was beautiful. Her whole spirit changed. He said, it would bless me so much to be able to care for her in those last days of her transition. I said, but yeah, but you know, all the hurt. He goes, oh, Pastor, it was awful. So many times I just want to run in the backyard and scream my head off. Say, why did I put up with this? And I had people offering money to help me with my divorce if I wanted to get rid of her and just get her out because everyone around her knew that she was just so destructive to her home. They would say, do it for the kids, Gary. Do it for the kids. I said, but man, I just sought the Lord, and he said, I'll never forget what he said. He said, Pastor, every time I reached my point of breaking, I decided to love a little more. I just didn't have a lot of love, but a little bit more. And the Bible says, love covereth the multitude of sins. Love beareth all things. It believeth all things. It hopeth all things. Charity, it never fails. Every home you don't have to trust your spouse, but what you need to trust is God. Determination to love a little bit more. Love the Lord. Love your spouse. Ask God to give you wisdom in that. I would say another thing is fight selfishness. Decide you're not going to be a selfish spouse. You're not going to be someone just focused upon your comfort zone and what you want and how it has to be. Some of us, we get a, heard about a spouse that, you know, my spouse has got a street named after them. One way. <laughs> It has to be their way or, or everybody's going to pay for it. Don't let that be you. Besides, you know what? I'm not going to be a selfish spouse. I'm not going to be self-centered. By the way, to do that, you'll need to be a sacrificial spouse. You need to be someone who says, you know, I need the Lord to take that away from me. I don't want to be self-absorbed, have to have it my way. We have to do it this way, this way, this way. People will get along, go along with you. It's not the way God wants it. But to fight selfishness. With a focus on responsibilities and not preferences or rights. You've got to ask yourself, what does God want me to do? Not what I feel like doing, not what I want to do. What does God want me to do? I talked to so many people, and they said, they said on a pile of regret. They say, you know what, if I just would have done a few, just, just been responsible, I wouldn't have to pay the piper now. 
I wouldn't have to do all the things that I'm doing now because I just would not, would not be responsible. Focus on responsibility, be a lover. Then I would say also is uh, stay in school. You know, the Bible says, likewise ye husbands. Likewise, talking to the ladies, same way. Likewise ye husbands, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Stay in school, keep learning. I would encourage you to get a marriage book and find one. Go to the bookstore or find one someplace and get a marriage book and Put it, put it on your nightstand or put it in your office. And every once in a while, even look at it upside down if you have to. Just it looks like you're trying to, trying to work on something. Say, if nothing else, say, Lord, I'm working on this. I'm working on our marriage. I love my wife. I love my husband. There's some things I want to do. And then, by the way, give your spouse opportunities to grow. Accept love. Accept appreciation. Quit being a self. Your kids are going to see right through it. People who have any wisdom at all can see right through selfishness. See right through someone who's just like, you know, I'm done. Foot a fork in me. It's over. I'm not learning anymore. I'm not going to grow anymore. I want to move on. Everybody wants to move on. You know the problem with moving on? Wherever you go, you have to take you. And you get to fail again and again and again until you pass the test. You have to wreck more and more lives because you can't figure it out. But Joshua, the old man, said, listen. Don't go back into the nations of the world and make sure your your marriages are what they ought to be. There's a lot of things we could learn about that. 